Hello. Welcome back to Black Belt or Bust. I'm Misty and I'm Keely. Today's gonna be a little <laughs> bit weird. <laughs> so we've been throwing around the idea of doing a couple of these random episodes called Post Mat Chat. Yes. Where it's Misty and I, especially right now during quarantine. I've got mats in the garage, so we'll meet up for like an hour or two, sometimes four, if we're like losing track of time, mm-hmm. and just drill or work on specifics, but sometimes we have these epiphanies, Yes. and afterwards we lay on the mats, probably longer than we actually trained, talking about those epiphanies. Yeah. So we figured, why not share them? Yes. Okay. So... I had this awareness today because we've been doing so, so much nogi lately that we put our gi on. We put our gis on today, and just working the guards and transitioning from different guards and just playing around with that, I felt so much more comfortable and just moving. Right. So today's babble session <laughs> is. About body awareness, mm-hmm. and it's a facet people, you don't think about having to train it. You th- always go, oh, it's going to come with time. Oh, it's going to come with experience. But it's that's wrong. It's, it's just like everything else. You can work on body awareness, you know? So kind of what have you been doing? Like, what have we been doing, Misty? <laughs> that led to your epiphany of like, oh, that's how my body moves. Or that's why it makes sense. I think it's because I've been working passing so much. I'm aware of what my body needs to do while I'm passing. So when I transition into a guard, I mean, or let me take it back. Transitioning into being a guard player again, then I'm aware of what I have to do to you to prevent you yeah. from passing my guard. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, because how we've structured things is it's very much we pick a guard or position or series. You have to work it offensively. Mm -hmm. So if you're doing a pass from a certain guard, and then we switch. So you end up doing that guard. Mm -hmm. And you're feeling somebody else pass you. Yeah. So I think, honestly, in order to be good at a guard, you need to know how to break down the guard. So how we've gone back and forth, okay, you're the guard passer, I'm the guard player, We're work, you're working on this pass, it allows me as a guard player to be like, okay, these are the things that shut me down. These are the things I need to be aware of. Mm-hmm. So I, I kind of like tapped into body awareness starting as a white belt and it's kind of built on. So it's really cool to see you be like, oh my God, I get it. <laughs> and it's just like, I've had to think back and be like, when was that moment for me? Yeah. And it's funny because I'll do technique and learn technique because people know me as a technical player. That's what people tell me. They're like, you're so technical. And that's because I'm learning the technique. But that's what I do is step-by-step technique. And now I'm transitioning into a full concept of that technique. Mm -hmm. So when I'm seeing something in the gym, I'm like, okay, I'm drilling this move, drilling this move, drilling this move don't do it for a long time and then we're in the garage playing around and now I'm saying oh this is how I need to transition from this place to this place and because I've been working with you so much I think that's part of that body awareness too with your your training partner is because if you've been catching me in so many things or you're passing my guard 
or and I don't want to say smashing because you don't smash me, smash me. But it's like, <laughs> I feel the things you do that you don't realize you do. Yeah. So especially, so swerve. I was listening to a podcast this morning. I love Mind Pump. It's like a health fitness nut podcast. And the couple of times they talk about lifting form, they mention this thing called the mind body connection. Mm-hmm. Anytime like you're trying to do an isometric movement, trying to really isolate a specific muscle group. A lot of times you don't know how to really connect with that muscle group. Um, like for some people it's quads and stuff like that. How they don't know how to work something or they don't know how to tense the muscle as they're doing a movement to get the full effectiveness of the workout or mm-hmm. realize the full range of motion. Anyways, as I'm listening to that podcast this morning, all I can think about is our discussions about body awareness. Because it is a mind-body connection uh-huh. in that, for example... Like, how you're a very technical role. That's what you're known as. I'm known as the annoying role. <laughs> you know, it's so good, though. Well, it's like, you know how, for example, how everybody says, like, where the fuck did her feet come from? Yeah. It's because I have a very good connection with my feet. And I mm-hmm. know I can feel where they are. I can feel, okay, there's a hook here. It's because I have that connection and body awareness with my feet that I can use the hooks a lot more effectively. So do you feel like your body awareness comes from the fact that you are also lifting and you're really learning how to engage certain muscle groups while you're lifting. So much more. And so that transitions over to BJJ. So much more. Um, And something I think about is that, especially for bodybuilders, bodybuilders are the best at this, that they know how to flex a muscle Mm -hmm. and how to control it. For either a sustained contraction, especially for those that are doing shows and are performing athletes in the sense that they're doing the cuts in different body positions. I know, like, if you think about, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger, one of, like, the best bodybuilders of the time. Mm -hmm. Every single day, he worked on his posing for a certain duration of time. And that gave him that mind-body connection because he knew, okay, I flex this muscle. This is how I work this muscle. Yeah. So I think... If we translate that to jujitsu, when we're doing certain movements, we need to break down different body parts in the movement rather than, okay, let's just do the overall movement. Mm -hmm. And you know how we get very relaxed, like our grip is relaxed, our posture is relaxed. We do something very sloppy, but we accomplish the movement. Yeah. I feel like, in a way, kind of like reverse engineering, where, okay, I'm going to be in this thrower, in this sweep. I need to focus on in this position, my hands are doing this, my posture is doing this, my leg is doing this, my foot is hooking here, and then go to the next part mm-hmm. and evaluate all of those things until it's very uncon- like subconscious whenever you're doing, you're in a role and you're like, oh, I'm already connected to my body here. Yeah. So I, f- I feel like there is kind of like a, a conditioning that goes into that. Well, it makes a lot of sense because David, for those who aren't listening, we mentioned David, he is our coach. He talks about being present. When he comes over and corrects you, when he asks, hey, why is your hand here? Why is it not here? When you're doing those things, sometimes you're not fully present in that, and you don't have that mind-body connection. Yeah. And that is now totally making sense to me that Yeah, because we go through the motion. We We don't break it down. Or people will learn a technique just to get to the submission, to get to the end. They're like, oh, I don't want to do grip switching or all this other stuff. I'm seeing what the end result is. So I'm skipping to it. Yeah, this is how I get the pass, sweep, or the submission. I'm I'm end game versus, no, you have to transition with these different grips. You have to move your feet or move 
your grip with your foot or whatever. Sometimes you have to do that simultaneously. And it's making so much more sense, especially being a technical player and just learning technique step by step by step. Now it's conceptual and it's connecting my body to everything because I can, okay, so for example, I can get to spider guard, but if I'm just hanging out and I'm like, okay, I'm going to spider, you can just pass me. Right. I've got to engage. I've got to be on my side. I've got to stretch your arm and bring you forward. I've got to break you down. Because, and I'm bringing this up because we worked on this today. It right. makes so much more sense to say, no, I'm breaking you down so I can get to where I need to go. Well, and let's add a layer to this. People think spider guard, especially when you first start learning, is just putting your feet in the biceps and extending out. Mm-hmm. What you don't realize is that it's actually having a nice healthy bend in the knee. And you're using your upper body to pull them into you. So every single motion, you don't realize you're doing a push-pull motion. Yeah. No matter what you're doing. Any, any position, I'm telling you, there's a push-pull motion where you're pushing off of the biceps with your feet so you're engaged all the way to the ball of your feet. Notice how, especially when I do it to you, do you feel that my feet are actually curling around your biceps? Yeah, I feel so stretched out and broken down to when you do it to me and then I do it to you and I'm like, there's something missing here. I'm exactly. It's, it's a mindfulness that you, you get into a habit of. And it's, it's slowly building on and learning these things. Mm-hmm. Like, you want to learn the overall concept and then add on to it. We don't learn all the details from the beginning. We have yeah. to, it's, ogres have layers. We need, <laughs> we need to add, learn in layers. I'm always going to say that. But notice, like, my feet, when they're on your biceps, they're actually curled around your biceps, and I'm lifting my hips off the ground because I'm applying pressure into your arms. Mm-hmm. And then while I have the hook grips on your sleeves, I'm pulling back. So I'm engaging my upper body by pulling myself back, and that I'm not only pulling you forward with my grips, I'm extending you off with my feet. So, again, it's that push-pull. It makes so much sense because it's like, as you're explaining it, I can feel it in my body. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yes. this is how, how I am stretched out and broken down. Well, and that's the really cool part is because I'm explaining what I'm doing mm-hmm. and you're feeling the response. Yeah. But by feeling the response, it's also making more sense when you act upon it yourself. Or if I'm passing you, I'm not acting like a rag doll. I need to be squatting down. Exactly. I need to be sitting up. And now it's just a fight between being able to do the pass or playing the guard. Now you're just battling it out between who's going to get there first if you're doing everything right. Because as we were working today, we weren't we were doing specific training as I was in the guard and you were passing. Mm-hmm. But I was thinking about one moment where you were showing me the guard and I'm like, I shouldn't be hunched over. I need to be squatting down. And that was a connection I've made in quarantine was, you know, this is the habit that I had prior to quarantine. This is my new habit. Coming out of it. Yes. That body awareness of, oh, this is why I can't pass so often or why people sweep me so quickly is I'm not doing the things that I'm supposed to be doing. Right. And so this is throwing me back to a conversation I had with David a couple weeks ago where, you know, like all the different instructional videos were coming out and some people were complaining about the amount of talking Mm -hmm. in some of the instructionals. And David and I were having, I can't even remember which one we were talking about. Was it John Danahar? I think it was John Danahar. Because he talks a lot. Yeah. But it's not a bad thing. No. (laughs) Because here's the thing. He talks about what you should be feeling. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people are like, oh, I want to skip through this and get to the technique. But that is the technique. Mm -hmm. I don't think, and like... It's a huge, it was a huge opportunity for me being like, oh, he's explaining what you should be feeling. Because if we go through the motions, like if we're doing a drill, like Misty and I are working together on a drill, maybe she's not reacting how 
he's explaining that this move is used for. Mm-hmm. This Maybe this move is for a certain response, but if my partner is not giving me that correct pressure or movement, then my application's wrong. Yeah. Because the weight might be off. The force might be off. How my hips are positioned might be off. Because say it's a movement in which you're sprawling and you've isolated one of my hips, and this movement is to be able to either regard or to be able to use that into a sweep. If you're not doing that, I'm going to be like, what is he talking about? I can just go around and go into a back take. Yeah. But it might actually be, oh, no, my leg is locked into this position. But if we don't pay attention to how they're explaining what we should be feeling mm-hmm. for us to figure out how to apply it, then we're, wa- then we're not doing the true technique. Okay, so I have a question because we're both in different transitionary stages of our, of our BJJ. And you've already gone through what I'm going through. through your, you've Which is gone, really trippy you've, because... <laughs> you've gone through the blue belt growing pains and now in, you're in purple belt growing pains. Just pain. I, <laughs> that's all I hear is just pain. So when you're a white belt and you're brand new to jujitsu, there's a weird thing that happens because you can have an athletic background or you can just be a klutz. You come into this, there's two different things I see people do when they're brand new. They're either just klutzy and have no control, and then they have all this aggression within them. Okay, me. Well, maybe not the aggression part, but, like, the very klutzy, and we can get that in a second. But just, like, if we're talking about general white belt who comes in, they, you know what I'm talking about, right? Like, if yeah. they're rolling for the first time or doing specific training, they go into fight-or-flight mode, taking all sorts of awareness outside of what their body should be doing. So it's, like... It doesn't matter if you have that athleticism. If you're not aware of what your body's supposed to be doing, you can't respond properly to what your opponent's giving you. So, do you know what I'm talking about? I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about, and I'm trying to like figure out how to phrase this best. So, as a white belt, say you get in an armbar. Let's use this as an example. Say you get in an armbar. As a white belt, as, as you're trapped in an armbar, all you can think of is, I need to move my entire arm. So you think it's one huge movement. Mm-hmm. And that's all you're capable of, is understanding, I need to move my arm out of the way. So you think that means that you need to rip your arm out of the way, turn your whole body, run away. Yeah. Like It's this big, exaggerated movement, and it's, it's not timed well. You may accidentally slap your partner in the face. You may hurt yourself as you're trying to like rip your arm out because mm-hmm. you think that you think that you have to do all of that. Okay? Then you get to blue belt. You realize, "Oh, it's not my whole arm. It's just this part of my arm is isolated. So I just need to move this part of my arm." Mhm. Okay, when well I wear a purple belt. It's just my elbow. Yeah. I only need to worry about the position of my elbow. Not even my whole arm, unless they're going for a wrist lock and then they're setting up other stuff. But again, we're focused on just the armbar, just a traditional setup armbar. Mm-hmm. Then you realize, okay, it's just my elbow position based off of where it is to your pelvis. Okay? Now you're a brown belt. I don't know what they think. <laughs> we're not there yet. Sorry, guys. There yet. But, <laughs> but if we have a brown putting, belt listening, you Putting can it into perspective. Yeah. Brown belts, black belts. Either than the answer of just don't get there. Like, <laughs> I need to know. Maybe it's you, maybe it's like you feel it in the force where you're like, my elbow is in danger. And it's well, like your spider senses are tingling, so you never get up there. Like, you there. understand what your opponent's trying to do by isolating your arm so they get the arm bar. So in order to get out of the arm bar, you're aware of, okay, if this is the arm bar where you're laying on your back, 
what is that armbar? The ground? You know, no, just no, uh, no, uh, armbar from okay. guard. The other armbar. So, so, <laughs> so when I'm when I'm saying traditional armbar, say you're set up, um, and like EBI rule set armbar. Okay. In yes. which they're not even gable gripping. They're not even trying to hide the arm. They're literally just like they've given you the arm. The cliche going from a mount to yes. S mount, that type of armbar. So, You're on top. So when we're talking, so let's say my blue belt perspective, then we'll get your purple belt perspective as far as the escaping the armbar. I know that your legs are going to be isolating my shoulder. And you do have my elbow on your chest and my, my thumb is up. Like I know that's going to be where I need to be. If I can Wait, to, to give it or to get it? No, for them to get it, that's what they need, right? Okay, so yeah. that's where you're like, no, that's bad. Okay, yeah, that's bad. Okay, okay, that's bad. So if I can gable grip, so it's not extended, I want to get my shoulder to touch the ground and then get my elbow to the ground, and then I can come up and then do whatever I need to to get out of that. That is my blue belt thought process as far as <laughs> what do I need to do to get out of this arm bar before they extend it. Mm-hmm. And get it. I want to make sure I can protect it, get my shoulder to the ground, then get my elbow and then come up, do what I need to do. Mm-hmm. That's where I'm at. So, with you being a purple belt, <laughs> what is your thought process on escaping an arm, arm bar? Okay, so say you have the arm trapped. You don't necessarily have extended, but you have the arm trapped. Uh, a couple of different things I immediately think of is, one, do you have control over the near side leg? How a lot of people will underhook the leg so that you can't turn into them. Mm -hmm. Because if you don't have that leg, then I have the ability to turn into you and be able to shrimp away and try to get my arm free. Mm -hmm. Um, The positioning of your legs, do you have both legs over top or are you lifting and isolating my head and neck? A lot of people, um, and I'll do this, in that the leg closest to the head, you actually drive your heel into their neck and you take their their head offline. So if my head hasn't been taken offline, I have a lot more movement than if it's not. So I check... My leg, so have you trapped the leg and that I'm not able to turn into you? Have you taken my head offline because, again, your head leads the rest of your body? Is my shoulder elevated? So for some people, what you're going to do is, the again, the same leg that's nearest the head is actually going to be cupping the neck or curling underneath the shoulder. You know, it's like a nice little hug with the foot. <laughs> but if it elevates the shoulder, it makes it harder to be able to bring my arm back and get my elbow in. So these are very small, minute adjustments. So if my shoulder's not elevated, and you kind of tapped on this, is my sh- getting my shoulder down? Well, if they've elevated my shoulder, first I have to be able to address that to get my shoulder down, and then I can focus on where my elbow is. And then how do you have, how do you have me gripped? Mm-hmm. In a sense, like, do you have a more lock on my hands? Are you trying to pull back at my elbow? Or are you trying to actually address my grip? Because a lot of people think, oh, if I tug at the elbow hard enough, then I'm going to get free. Actually, no, that's telling me your time in which you are going to break my grip and then I can do a hitchhiker escape. That is actually giving me a better indication of how long it's going to be before I, before I have to transition out. But if you are attacking my hands, I know I need to move a lot more quickly due to the fact that you're about to break my grip and control my arm going back into an arm bar rather than just kind of jerking it back and me being able to time the escape. So how close you are in control of my arm. So we went over, do you have my leg? So can I shrimp in or not? Do you have my head isolated and taken offline? Because that's going to indicate how far, like my range of movement. Um, How your legs are positioned. For example, if it's kind of uh, pinching at the neck, elevating the shoulder. Or uh, another thing is if your legs are far apart, um, in order to accomplish the arm bar, your knees have to be pinched. If you have, if you're kind of slack and that you've given me enough room, 
one method of escape is to actually not really escape it so much as I'm going to walk my body out, hop over your leg. Now you can, no, even if you have control of my arm, you can no longer finish the arm bar due to the fact that you don't have that pinching motion of your legs. So there, it, it really depends on what, what kind of arm bar you're in and how they're controlling you, where their weight is. Okay. So this just touches <laughs> on like some overall point is... You go from being this white belt who's just trying to yank your arm away to me being like, well, I know my shoulder has to be on the ground. And my elbow. And you're like, no, this is everything that I felt. But it's that development of body awareness, you, you have so much experience to then you know what things to identify to get but then But then it's funny. So, but here's the thing. Out of everything, we take the same amount of time to evaluate. Mm-hmm. And the time it took you to be like, I need this and this, is the same time it took me in which I, I acknowledged, okay, where are we? Yeah. What do I have? What do I not have? So that's the beautiful thing is that we have the same amount of time before we get submitted or we're able to escape or we're able to do something. And it's how we use it. What we determine is the, our priority. So another question. When you're watching people compete from white belt to black belt, and you're watching the various different matches with whoever, when you see two white belts compete, they're out for blood. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I bad. watch it. It stresses me out. Okay, like, to be <laughs> honest, okay. And we're so, not talking crap about white belts. No, 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 no. We're Wait. just saying this is what happens. Here's what's going to happen, especially with white belt females. What's going to happen is you are going to get a really shitty double lapel grab in that it's not controlling the head. It's like mid-boob level and that you grab on to their lapel they grab onto yours nobody has true inside ties nobody has outside ties Mm -hmm. and you just jerk and snatch each other in a circle and you hold your breath and then (laughs) you're gassed and afterwards you're like that was the we didn't even go to the ground no you didn't go to the ground because y'all just like shook each other like it's like shaking baby syndrome like shaking white belt baby syndrome and i laugh because (laughs) i cannot think of one single time when I was a white belt, I can never identify at which point I got to the ground. I was at the ground. Normally, it's because you fall. I Either that <laughs> or I just sit, not even guard pull. Yeah. I sit on my butt, and then yeah. I go from there. But you watch, you, watch, you watch white belts try to kill each other in a tournament, or they're just rolling during the open mat, and then you watch blue belts. Yeah. There's still a little bit of... Still a little bit of spazziness, yeah. But you see so much more, like we said, body awareness and And things that you've learned. It also depends on, are you watching somebody who competes a lot or not? Mm -hmm. Are you watching somebody that's a brand new blue belt or has been a blue belt four or five years? Yeah. You know, and there are exceptions. I know there are exceptions, but... We're just talking generally. Yeah, we're just talking in general. So, like... Okay, so let's talk about you when you competed as a blue belt. <laughs> no, because your last blue belt tournament, not the king and queen one, but your IBJJF Atlanta. Oh, yeah, because I won gold. It was good. Um, honestly, I feed off of what the other person gives me. Mm-hmm. A lot of people, they get very tunnel-visioned whenever they go into tournaments. Mm-hmm. And, again, it's kind of like our game plan conversation that we yeah. had with Kalina. And that I don't really have a game plan. I normally get, go off of what you give me. So if you are very tense and you're like, oh my God, I have to do this. Okay, well, like, we're just going to play from that. Yeah. You know, if I, if I can feel, like, once you get your hands on me, I know what you're going to do. 
it, it's a really fun moment once that starts clicking. Once somebody gets their grips, you realize this is what they can do with those grips. Mm-hmm. You know what they're going to do. And every fucker that I've gone with in the past, what, two years, with the exception of when I did the king and queen because yeah. they were larger than me, <laughs> has pulled guard. Nobody will stand up with me. So I already know the second I see you coming, you're going to pull guard. So do you immediately prepare for a pass at that point so you, so you do get the points? It depends on the person. It, it I know for some people... I'm still terrible at addressing like somebody immediately pulling guard because I want to I want to stand up and play. Yeah. So I let that throw me off and that I'm not addressing the guard pull is because I'm I'm still hopeful for the chance and I hesitate due to the fact that I really want to stand up. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of like I give you the opportunity to stand up and then I'm a second behind when it comes to being able to immediately pass, but yeah. it does happen. Mainly my big thing is preventing the jumping guard. Some people like to really jump guard, and they or they want to go for a flying submission because they want it to be over with so quickly. Yeah. So a lot of the time, I'm keeping my arms in, so it's not that I'm necessarily preventing your guard, but I'm preventing the worst case scenario of a guard pull, in that okay. you're immediately trying to submit me. So I'm trying to prevent a submission before present before preventing you getting that position. Yeah. I, I care more about not getting submitted in like ten seconds. <laughs> I feel like with my divisions. When they've pulled guard on me, they pull it so fast that I don't even get the opportunity to pull guard. Right. Like, it's quick and immediate. Or if I do it, it's, it's the crappiest guard pull. But if you notice, a lot of people that are really great at guard pull, that is all they do. You yeah. know, they, they, they don't play with other things. Mm-hmm. I would rather fail doing a few different things so that I understand the technique and I know how to do it correctly, then only be really great at one. Yeah. Due to the fact that, okay, you're a great guard pooler. You get guard pooled 99% of the time. What happened to that 1%? Could you do anything? No, because all of a sudden it's like, well, fuck, they pulled guard on me. Or they threw you. Like something happened or they immediately passed you. What are you going to do now? Yeah. You know, and then you, you actually see people break down. If they don't get what they want, they get, they're lost. Yeah. And that you can really take advantage of that. Well, I feel like people get so used to their comfort zone and their A-game. Yeah. And by comfort zone, I mean things that they've only drilled. And I've fallen into this, too, where I say, hey, I need an A-game. I never use my A-game. Right. Never. Not once have I used it. And you know that because you've seen me compete. I go out I know, there because like, I work with you. So, okay. <laughs> or someone pulls guard and I'm like, all right, now I'm going into the top. <laughs> that, are, that are like, we drill. And how we break up her drills, especially when she's got like a tournament coming up. We figure out your A game. Mm-hmm. And then we will nonstop drill your A game. And then we break it down. For example, like your first step is a guard pull. Okay? So when we go into a guard pull... I start to respond to that part of your game plan to make sure that you understand your options. Okay, we get to the next part of your game your game plan. Say you did get the guard pull and you're going to some, a different guard. Okay, then I'm addressing that guard. So it's not just focusing on the first part. Mm-hmm. You focus on each aspect of that game plan because you need your body needs to know where it goes. And this is kind of getting us back on track and kind of body awareness. If you don't know what to do when shit goes wrong and... It, you're like, I naturally go into a close guard. Okay, well, what if you can't get a close guard? Yeah. Where, where is your body, and how can you get to a close guard? Or do you have to abandon that idea altogether? Well, 
that's why I think it's also important to roll with people who have so many different games. Right. And there's so many different sizes as well. Because you get so... You, and this still goes into body awareness. Because I it's maybe part of muscle memory. I don't know. But you get used to having to go to so many directions. That now when you compete and you're on that competition map, it's like... I'm going where I need to go versus I'm going where sometimes you can't go where you want to go. You go where you need to go. Yeah. You have to, you you have to either seize the opportunity and go with what they're giving you. Yeah. Or guess what? You have to make your opportunity. You have to take what you have and get yourself where you want to go. Um, the person that I keep thinking of, especially trying to do Nogi and going into saddle right now, I just keep thinking of Robert Daigle and how he's like, yeah, you just go here, here, here. I want to go here. So he just gets himself there. Yeah. And it, it's in, it's insane. But back on the mindfulness. The reason I'm better about my feet, and I even just like a year ago, I was terrible about this. And I love playing open guard, but guess what? I exposed myself for a lot of submissions. So what I did is I kept going against all of the people that were – Heel hookers, foot lockers, knee bars. And I told them, every time you feel my foot, I want you to rip it. Mm -hmm. Because then it brought this awareness of, I didn't realize I kept putting myself in that much danger. And I had to go to the people that specialized in this because everybody's like, oh, there's like a foot there, but do they actually act on it? No, because they're not comfortable with it. But if you find somebody that's really comfortable with that small part of the body, or even like wrist lockers, stuff like that, Mm -hmm. You find that person and you're like, I want you to exploit every time I give you my foot. Every time I open myself up for an open guard, I want you to take advantage of it. And that caused me to be so aware, like working with Kara. Like, yeah, it, it forced me to be like, holy shit, I kept opening myself up. And now I'm much more aware of my foot placement. And because I was aware of how to defend it, then I was like, oh, I need to move it here to be offensive. So. So it's like the that. cascade. <laughs> David, if you're doing something dumb and he wants you to stop doing something dumb, he'll just keep submitting you. <laughs> find the person who can break you of that dumbness. So, mm-hmm. like you do, but you do that of your own volition. So for me, yeah, I do that for myself. Where okay. it's like if if I keep getting caught in something, like I think we've had the Kamora discussion before. Yeah. Where it's like, man, why do I keep leaving my arm out? You find the person you know yes. is going to beat the shit out of you. Yeah, so for me, if I can have an awareness of saying, okay, every single person I roll with that's either at my level or higher, male or female, it doesn't matter who, will catch me in the same thing. Why are they catching me here? Mm-hmm. Sometimes other people can explain it. Like you, I think we were working on it, and then... I can't remember who I was working with, and they were like, you wing your arm out. That's why I can get it. Probably Hannah. She's very... She can tell small details. I think it was Farbod. I believe it. Yeah, I think it was Farbod. He's like, you wing your arm out, so I can grab it from here. I was like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense. But when David sees me doing something stupid that I'm not aware of, because I don't have the awareness of it yet, he will find someone who can catch me in that over and over again and say, okay, next time she does this, you need to do that. And he says yeah. it out loud to yeah. both. You, he said that. Yeah, he does like, that to me. Next time she does this. I need you to do that. <laughs> I need you to catch her in this. And then I'm like, okay, well, I need to stop doing this dumb thing. Right. But it's not until it keeps happening to you that you yeah. either 
in the beginning, it's somebody has to call you out on it. Mm-hmm. Where you're like, why do I keep getting stuck in it? And it, for example, when we're in the garage, you're like, why does this keep happening? But it's the first time you've voiced it to me. And I'm like, oh, yeah, it's because you do this. And then you're like, well, shit. <laughs> so in the in the beginning, it's definitely somebody's telling you or calling yes. it out to you because you don't know yet. Yeah. But once you feel something for the first time, then you can acknowledge it. So what I recommend to people who are new, always I always recommend this. They say, what should I work on or need to do? I say, what is something you get caught in all the time by everybody in the gym? It doesn't matter mm-hmm. who it is. Where do they catch you? And I'll say either here or here, wherever. And I say, okay, when you roll, you start in that position. You have them get you in that position over and over again, and you get out of it. Mm-hmm. Then you drill it, getting out of that position, whether it's a submission or just them being in a dominant position, like side control. For me, it was side control. Mm-hmm. So... When I was getting caught in other people's side control all the time, I hated it because I was like, I'm, I got to the point where I was comfortable inside someone else's side mm-hmm. control, but I shouldn't, it should, shouldn't be that way. So I found a whole bunch of side control escapes, drilled every single one. But when I drilled them, I said, okay, where is each escape going to take me to? It's mm-hmm. either going to get me to my guard. It's going to get me into their turtle where they're defend they're, they are in turtle, um, so those were kind of my options. So I said, okay, if they get me here inside control, I escape this way. I get to their turtle. What are my options from turtle? I go here or here. Mm-hmm. I had that direction and I drilled it over and over and over again. And then every time I was rolling, I say, you get me inside control as <laughs> many times as you possibly can. Right. And we've had this conversation before because I said, David had me work on guard retention after that. Right. Well, that and then... Especially once you have training partners that you can say, I need you to attack this. Or you can be specific to, especially for like, I'm not just saying like lower ranks, but for some people, and it it varies. And it could be kind of anybody. You can say, get me in these positions. Mm -hmm. And then for some people, you're like, I get into this submission from this position. I need you to do that. Okay. Some people, you're like... I need you to get me in an inside heel hook on my left foot nonstop. <laughs> like, I feel like I could tell Will Sutton this, and he would yeah. be like, yes, I got this. Like, I got you. I'm going to destroy your foot. But what you're working on and how specific you need to work on it is also going to change as you progress. So, like, in the beginning, yeah. it's like, okay, get out of a general armbar. And then, like we said, like, between white belt, blue belt, purple belt, you realize that what you need to work on is getting smaller mm-hmm. and more defined and a very minute adjustment. Yeah. And, like, so I, my first example is, like, that I think of is just how many times Claudia Duvall is just able to sit in ankle lock. Yeah. And she's perfectly comfortable because she's a, she knows the small adjustments to make it so that that submission doesn't work. Mm-hmm. I, I just think that's cool. <laughs> That's, no, like she's so, that's like she's so aware of the small adjustments. You have this awareness of not only your own body, but the way someone's reacting to you. Or you know what they're supposed to do to keep you there. Right. And sometimes you get to the point where you no longer have to worry about a side control escape or escaping an armbar at all. Because you, you know what you need to do so someone doesn't get you in an armbar. Mm-hmm. You get to that point because you become aware of everything that's going on. 
but it takes work to get there. And it takes this ability to say, I'm bad at this. I need help with it. I need people who are good at it to catch me in it all the time. And I need them to help me understand what they're doing as well. So you have a level of humbleness that comes with developing body awareness because you yeah. do have to admit that you're bad at something. You want to get better, but you reach out to those around you who are good at it and you say, okay, can you help me get out of this? Like when we're working together, you will catch me in something and then I say, okay, Keely, I get here all the time. How do you get me here? Why do you get me here? Yeah, you, you, will, you will immediately acknowledge it. Yeah. And some people won't where they'll, they'll go stew on it. And then they'll come back, but because it's so much time has lapsed, they're like, mm -hmm. I think I get from from here. But you're like, no, you get me from this position. Like, right when it happens, you call me out. Yeah. You're like, how? <laughs> but that's the body awareness of it, too, is I get caught here because sometimes you can't even define it as, like, this is side control. Sometimes it's like, can my legs get tangled here all the time in this specific way? Why am that, I like this? What are you doing? That are like what we were talking about the other day where you're, where we both looked at each other and we're like, why is this so familiar? Yes. And it was so from being, two different places. Yeah. Two different places. We were talking about two different things, but the feeling was exactly the same. Yes. And so we're, we both finally figure out where this is happening and why mm -hmm. it keeps happening and what the person is doing. But it's only from practicing different positions in these different situationals we've done that we're able to isolate that and know how to address it. Yes. So what did we do? We said, okay, we don't know how to get out of this. Say, how do we not get caught in these positions from these two different situations that we get ourselves in? Right. And so I get, especially like talking to white belts, if you want more body awareness, are you going to get some over time? Yes. But do you want to make a dramatic difference in your game? Then you have to train it like anything else. Like it's weightlifting. Mm -hmm. Like it's drilling techniques. Like you're building up your cardio. You have to plan for it. Be mindful of it. And train it just like you would any other facet of jiu-jitsu. Yeah. That's where you have to identify where your weaknesses are. You can identify, here are my strengths, here are my weaknesses. And you have to admit those are weaknesses, too. Like, mm -hmm. you know, you're doing something and you say, okay, I'm bad at this specific area, my jujitsu. I need to get better at it. Can you help me with it? Mm -hmm. It's like, okay, yeah. Well, and a part of that is you are the best person to know how you move. Yes. So especially, for example, I know a lot of guys are going to be like, oh, I have really tight hips. Okay, I don't know how that feels like because I'm able to be really flexible and bendy mm -hmm. a lot of the times. So half the time I do something and I get yelled at being like, you need to just quit relying so much on your flexibility. <laughs> and I'm just like, this is comfortable for me. I feel like it's a controlled flexibility rather than just allowing my flexibility um, to go to the extent. Um, and that's, that's like a whole other conversation about just flexibility yeah. and how to use it. But if you have physical limitations, for example, my shoulder, the one that I've dislocated before, I have a limited range of movement. So when I'm doing something, I have to be mindful of that. Or if I'm going against somebody that I know loves Kimuras, I have to make sure half the time I actually bait you on the opposite side so that you stay away from an injury. Yeah. Like, I know you love Kimuras, but do you notice that you actually get my right arm in a Kimura more than my left arm? No. 
You do. <laughs> but actually, it's because my left arm is the injured arm. Yeah. So half the time, if I know you're going to do it, I actually hide it deeper, uh-huh. and I expose my other arm so we go to the Kimura setup the opposite direction so that you're staying away from my injury. So part of that mindfulness is going into if you, again, acknowledge your own limitations, but also do you have physical limitations, not just in not understanding how to move your body, but do you know your body can't be moved a certain way? So, like, some guys, if they, like, if you... Say we're in Delaheva. You know how like you're able to extend out a leg? Mm-hmm. Some guys actually they can't spread their legs that far, so they will topple over. And they they physically can't prevent it because they they don't have that um, amount of flexibility. So like for some of it is they have to acknowledge, okay, I can or can't do these things. You can work on it over time and improve it. Again, you can improve your flexibility, it, it can happen. But you have to plan for it. You have to train for it. Mm-hmm. You have to devote time to it. Yeah. And that's why this takes so long to get good at. You're not just learning moves and then doing those moves. It's understanding yourself. It's understanding that you have so many options that you have to respond to what you're giving and what someone's giving you. It takes a long time to develop this skill and get good at this specific martial art because there's so many... It's, there's so many different options. There's so many ways to go. Like, so everybody talks to? about that it's like a game of chess. Not only are you knowing, you know, what your moves are, but how to do those moves mm-hmm. and what's the best way to do them. Are you getting someone to respond to you? Or are you responding to someone else? So there's so many different facets to it, but that's why it's so cool as well. It was like what we were talking about earlier when I made that kind of chess analogy, being yes. like, okay, when you first learn how to play chess... You learn how the players move. Mm -hmm. You learn how the pieces move. So you're following the rules, but you're not playing the game. Yes. Once you start figuring out how do I move them to get you to to respond to me a certain way so that I can set something else up, Mm -hmm. that's when you're playing the game. Yeah. Because you understand all of the different ways in which they can move, not just the movement itself. Yeah. Or you get stuck in your own pattern of, this is how I'm going to move this specific piece every time I start the game. So let's say a game. That's <laughs> a, kind of a, like what it is. a game, I move what? Pawn seven, four. Yeah. <laughs> so like you're doing that, and that's the same thing, but what if your opponent's giving you something, they're throwing you off, and you're like, I don't, I don't know what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. And that's why chess is always a perfect analogy to jujitsu because, one, let's say you're learning the game from someone who taught you how to play it. Obviously, mm-hmm. they're more advanced than you. So you start playing, they catch you and everything. You lose every single time. But you keep playing, you keep playing, and you keep playing. playing and you also and you keep start recognizing the movement. Mm-hmm. So that's another part of things. You start recognizing what's going on around you. And then you start picking up how to do it yourself. Yeah. Mm. So I guess we can wrap this up. Yeah. Right? <laughs> Again, <laughs> this is... <laughs> but it's really cool to talk on, like, these epiphanies that we're having as far as looking at BJJ is an analogy overall so you can understand what you need to do to get better. Yeah. So you do have to step aside, like, ego and the fact that you're brand new to something and there are going to be people who are better than you that are going to help you get better, understanding your body, understanding... Your movement. Your your movement, your restrictions of movement. Yeah, your range of movement. Um, And connecting with your body. Yeah, being more open-minded to understand different ways of moving to respond to someone else. You know, the people you're training with or cross-training or competing with. You understand those responses and you adapt. You adapt more and more. 
so that's really, I guess, what we wanted to cover in today's episode. So thank you for you know. our, <laughs> our post match chat and our ramblings. <laughs> right. thank we you. love you. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll catch Talk you next to- time yeah. for an official episode. <laughs> Bye.